0: Welcome to PhDs. In part two of this two-part episode, we continue our conversation with Faith, Rebecca and Laura about being a woman in academia. We continue talking about maternity leave, why women feel replaceable in the workplace and what practical things we can all do to help support each other. If you missed part one, I suggest going back to it before listening to this episode. Hope you enjoy listening.
1: I also have a few other thoughts about maternity leave which is that i don't know i feel like i'm talking into a silent vacuum so i don't know i don't know if this is the right place for it but i um i think it's fantastic to get a lot of maternity leave i mean certainly when your baby arrives nicole you will just realize how precious and beautiful and what a short amount of time children are young for and to be able to take time off to be there for that i think is incredible what i do think is that when women are given a lot of maternity leave, it gives the message that we are dispensable, that a workplace, a project can carry on without us. And I think that adds to the perceptions of us being less valuable in the workplace. And I think until it is the norm that men can also take a year off, I feel like it's a huge contributor to how we are perceived in the workplace and why we are seen often as having less value. If you were to say, you know, if you were to suggest to many men, I say many men, not all men, because you know, there's always, always, always good people everywhere. But for many men, if you were to say, why didn't you take a year off, they would say, oh no, the whole project would fall apart without me. I'm far too important for that. Like they could never replace me. I'm irreplaceable. Um, and I know lots of people who have had these opinions and said this to me. But it's never occurred to me that I'm irreplaceable. I'm irreplaceable to my son, but I'm certainly not irreplaceable in the workplace. And in fact, they did replace me with someone amazing who uh, did a fantastic job for a year and is continuing to work in our team because she is so amazing. So I, I find it a very interesting thing that whilst I'm really grateful for maternity, we do get, I think it's a huge factor in how we're perceived in the workplace. And yeah, I think perceptions of maternity leave are, are very peculiar amongst some people.
0: Yeah, it's just crazy that people would, you know, think it's acceptable to say some of the things that they told you,
1: but it's not like- even that they thought it was acceptable, that it didn't cross them, like they just don't think about it. it it's mm, not, yeah, it's just thoughtless, it's not deliberately antagonistic, it's not, it's they don't think it's harmful, it is honestly it's just an honest opinion that they have which is just really sad it's it's not intended to cause harm yeah it's it's interesting i actually have a question for you
2: faith because i first of all it's just so horrible that people think this is acceptable to (laughs) to talk to you like this it's just always shocking to me um but my experience with people talking about maternity, especially men, I f- often get the impression that they think it's a nice holiday off <laughs> and um, that it's something oh. that you're, <laughs> you're <laughs> and, I <was> wondering <laughs> and I was wondering if you, if you had some of these experiences as well. Yes, I did
1: a lot, but that comes from, I find that comes from men and women, I found, and often a lot of the people who asked me if I were enjoying my holiday we often women who didn't have children. <laughs> um, there is nothing more relentless than having a child. Like they never go away. <laughs> they are there forever and they always want something. They always need something. Oh gosh, I sound so ungrateful. Let me just say, I just completely adore being a mum, and my kid is the best thing that's ever happened to me. But I consider a day at work to be a day off because having a day at work is, more straightforward (laughs) than having a two and a half year old who's just learned how to say no mummy stay there um (laughs) so yeah I I got that a lot I got it I get it from men and women which I think is is one of those sad things about I mean you just don't know until you've had one and then you also feel like you don't have your allies with you because you can't ask for help because you feel like you're asking for help in a holiday which is really sad, like quite often, I, you know, mum friends become really essential because often the non-parent friends think that you're having a holiday and it's far from a holiday.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I just wanted to add on the topic of maternity leave. For me, it's not even, you know, the decision, like the decision about how much maternity leave I will take isn't only about how do I think it will impact my project. I'm doing a PhD, like I'm working on my own project. So I don't feel like, you know, people depend on me as much. I work in a team, but at the end of the day, it is my PhD. But one of the deciding factors was that, so I can take 12 months off, but the last Mm -hmm. three months of that are unpaid, Mm -hmm. which obviously I can't really afford. However, when I then looked at the cost of nursery and childcare, it is exactly my monthly stipend so um it will make no difference whether i will stay home the extra three months to be with the baby or if i go back because financially i will be no better or worse off for it like you know my husband and i will be no better or worse for it um, and I think for a lot of women, that is the deciding factor, like, when, you know, especially when you have more than one child, childcare cost for full-time childcare, it's more than your monthly salary. And a lot of women have that, like, is that worth for me? Like, I go to work, but I don't earn anything. I actually have to pay money. So I'm able to go to work. Um, and again, that isn't something that men think about as much, I don't think. Do you think this is what women think about when they're deciding whether to even come back? to the workplace or not?
1: Oh, most definitely. I know lots and lots of women who have just opted not to go back to the workplace because uh, of exactly what you've said. The cost of childcare um, is basically a salary, often the women's salary because women tend to earn less than their male partners. So I know know loads of women whose careers have just ended um, who have taken five year long career breaks while they have their children and then only consider going back once their kids are in school. I think the other really interesting dimension which which i hadn't really thought about until we were put in the position of thinking about how much time i would take on maternity leave was that a lot of places offer shared parental leave which in theory is really nice in theory it sort of levels the playing field but in reality it it doesn't (laughs) because i earn less than my husband because we're in a fairly standard situation where the man earns more than the woman We could take a cut in my salary a lot more easily than we could take a cut in his salary. A cut in his salary would have a much larger impact on our household finances than a cut in my salary would have. So it makes these things such as shared parental leave extremely nice in theory, but actually not as useful as you think they're going to be for the vast vast majority of people. I mean, there are people who who can you know take that cut and 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 I mean we just couldn't we just couldn't afford our mortgage if my husband lost out on salary. So that was another thing that came up when we were thinking about maternity leave and what we were going to do. We realized that this lovely idea just is not applicable when you're in a situation where one person's salary is more important than another person's.
0: Yeah, it's the exact same for us. I'm on a stipend, which isn't that much. So it was a no-brainer. Like, I will be the one who stays home.
3: I feel like what you were saying, Faith, makes so much sense. Because I do feel like it kind of also harks back more to this general concept in academia. But it is, despite it often being a team effort, it's it is quite an individual sport. Often you're kind of only your research outputs, how many publications have you had in the last year, how many grant proposals have you written, how much money have you brought in? It's quite competitive, obviously, a competitive field. So I think what you were talking about with your experience, especially some of the comments that people were making, I can see how it fits quite well into this system in academia and how the job is kind of set up and how it can just kind of, I guess, also make you feel just quite hopeless at some points because you're like, well, I'm sorry, I I want to be a mom. And this is just something that I want to do. And it's just so I don't know, it's just so terrible that people were making such bad comments about it, because just like you said, they would not be making those same comments to a man that's in that same position. Um, So I guess opening up the conversation a bit again, can maybe anybody else speak on Some of those skills or habits or things that maybe that you've learned in engaging with this topic of women in academia, women in STEM a bit more, maybe skills that you've learned or good books that you've read, or obviously the workshops that Laura and Rebecca do are definitely great here, but they are just little things that maybe would have helped you. I know we kind of touched on this concept of negotiating skills already Um, trying maybe to be less apologetic in your email writing. Are there any other things that you think are quite important skills or habits or, yeah, or even books or things that maybe people can engage with or resources that they can engage with?
4: I, the, you're you're saying um, being less apologetic in emails definitely resonates with me. Um, (laughs) I I now um, definitely looking back on myself at the start of my PhD, I definitely write the word just a lot less in my emails and I include a lot fewer exclamation points. But um, yeah, that's, that's just one thing that definitely I've noticed about myself. Um, The other thing kind of on the flip side to negotiating, one thing that I've, Learned and developed a bit more the more I've gone through my career as a PhD student is actually kind of understanding how powerful silence can be sometimes, especially in. I can think of the specific context when it comes to, say, presenting, particularly my data and talking about my data and my research. And this definitely applies more, I think, in person when we were doing this in person. Is that I noticed this about myself and also a lot of other women that I would see presenting their work, sort of being almost apologetic for taking up that space and apologetic for their work and sort of presenting something but then almost backtracking as soon as they presented it and so that's something I've worked on myself a lot throughout my PhD kind of just presenting my work and then just not talking myself into a hole in that way and just leaving silence for people to comment or ask questions.
1: I just wanted to say I, I agree with All of those things you said, is what resonated with me, was not being apologetic for being in the room. Yeah, I think that a lot of a lot of women feel like we need to apologize for just being there. And most of my sentences start with "I'm sorry," but yeah, or no
4: worry, no worries if not, or you know,
1: yeah, I I do that too. too Yeah, Yeah. so I'm also working really hard on that. I I think what's also really important. I mean, I've I've been managing a team. Uh, Carolyn was part of that team for a while, so I mean, I'll leave it to her as to whether she agrees with this. But what I I think is more important, well, as well as it being important on working on myself, what I have found really important managing a team of women of young young researchers um, just setting out in the field is lowering the ladder behind you. It's about giving them a hand up. It's about giving. I'm I'm much I'm a much fiercer fighter for the women who are on my team than I am for myself, which I find weird, but there it is. Like I would fight harder for Carolyn or one of my other research assistants than I would fight for myself. It's much easier to say, oh, actually Carolyn was speaking. Could we let her finish her sentence? It's a lot easier to give Carolyn an opportunity to present at a conference um, than it is for me to say, excuse me, I think I should be presenting at this conference. So I'm working really hard on sort of not just myself and, and my own habits that I've learned, but also trying to create an environments for the people who are dependent on me to speak up for them often as they learn the skills themselves. And I think that's more important as, as women progress into more senior roles. It's not just about how we treat ourselves. It's about how we create opportunities and support for the, the people around us. And I think, I think that's really important for me from my perspective.
4: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it's, we can really easily underestimate how powerful it is when we support each other. Just thinking of another example, and I remember there's been research on this showing in a conference, if a woman is the first person to ask a question, it's more likely that more women will then contribute to the discussion and ask questions. I've sat in many seminars where there's always one guy at the front who chimes up with like, oh, it's more of a comment than a question, and then proceeds to just completely derail the discussion and sort of take people, particularly women in research, try and take them down under this kind of mask of intellectual rigor. I've seen it happen several times, and I'm sure some of you have as well. Just another thing that I've kind of made a more and again, this was during like in person where we were presenting research more in person, um, is to really be that kind of friendly face that is getting in there and asking questions because, and I've seen it happen in real life when I've done it as well. I've sort of asked a question and then the number of other women that come forward to ask questions and actually join in the discussion was really interesting. And so it's just, I think it's just little things like that where we're sort of signaling that we support each other. I think it's really easy to underestimate how powerful that can be.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree with this. And just maybe to add on this, this is one thing I wanted to say in response to your question, Carolyn, because I really, really work hard on myself to ask questions and not to think, oh, this is stupid or, oh, maybe I missed this during the talk and now everyone thinks that I'm stupid <laughs> when I ask this question. Because I think as exactly as you said, if, if I ask a question, then maybe another Woman or someone who wouldn't have asked their question just thinks, "Oh yeah, maybe maybe I can I can feel encouraged to do the same." So I think this is so important, and I'm really proud of myself <laughs> as well that I that I did the job basically, and that I that I tried to ask um, questions during conferences because this was not a given for me in the beginning of my PhD or my academic career. I always felt like I, I missed something or I'm, it's not my place to ask questions here because I'm too junior or whatever. So I think this is something that really, really is important for your self-esteem, but also for the general vibe in the room at conferences. And as, I think a second thing I wanted to add to, to this conversation is I really work hard on myself to say no because I get the impression that a lot of work that's unpaid, such as for example, changing the bins in the lab or-
4: Yeah, um,
1: yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, or,
2: yeah, or um, cleaning, cleaning up the benches. It's always women, always women who do this. And I've learned during my two and a half years of my PhD now that saying no can sometimes be very productive. Uh, or can end up in something very productive can end up in a discussion about things or can end up in people actually thinking about oh maybe i should have been i should have been doing this in the first place and not expect someone else to do it for me so i think it's not only something that really helps myself and my time management and everything but it also helps the team to be more productive and to be more caring of each other really so This is something I wanted to add as well.
3: You guys made such amazing points. I just found myself nodding along the entire time because I definitely know I feel very similarly as well. And yeah, Faith, you've definitely created such an environment with us, which is also one of the reasons, obviously, why we wanted you here to kind of speak on that. And it is so important to create kind of a space of encouragement for fellow women, not only those that you are managing, But as Rebecca and Laura, you were saying as well, kind of also if you're in a group setting, even if you're not necessarily managing them or you're not familiar with them, just being in a seminar space and kind of having that courage to be the one that speaks up will hopefully have um, a ripple effect, um, hopefully on other women and other individuals that might feel it difficult to speak up in those situations. And also might find it difficult to say no to um, certain propositions that are being made. But yeah, I think that that's quite a nice note to end on. Thank you so much for participating in the podcast. We really appreciate it.
0: That's all we have time for in this episode. As always, if you have any comments or questions, you can find us on Twitter at phd_podcast.